Uh, let's bow together in prayer to begin. Father, we bless you and thank you for your goodness to us, and we thank you for the way that, uh, that you have shown yourself to us, and we pray that as we think about sharing the gospel with others, that you would continue to stir us up and uh, help us as we uh, carry that seed to and uh, plant that seed with others and water it, uh, that you would be granting increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a little vignette from the book 10 Modern Evangelism Myths by Ryan Denton. And the myth that he tackles today is that there's only one right way to evangelize. I thought I would begin by asking if you know different evangelism tracks or evangelism programs that you've either been trained in or that you are aware of. Yes, Ray Comfort's Ten Commandments, uh-huh. The Roman Road, that's a, a very popular one, yeah, good. The Bridge, bridge Illustration, it's a navigator tool, good. Meg? Yep, yeah. Uh, we've done that, uh, we, we've, we've used a mix of a lot of these different things, so a, a survey to begin a conversation about uh, what uh, people think is needed in our community or spiritual needs, um, so some others might be evangelism explosion, the uh, or spiritual laws, uh, uh, so uh, I'm actually going to spend some time looking at some different tracks uh, different uh, different tools that uh, that we might use and uh, put some into your hands just as as opportunities to do that and as you might imagine by my answer here by saying these are some things that we've used and I'm interested in putting some things into your hand that uh, that I do think it is a myth as he suggests that there is only one way to share the gospel and I think that that comes uh, comes out as individuals will put together a, a program of evangelism and that will be their thing and they'll train people in uh, for instance evangelism explosion and and uh, uh, as we uh, men and women tend to gravitate towards uh, towards systems we may adopt a single system and think that that's the uh, that's the only way that evangelism uh, can be done. And uh, our conversations already and the rest of this class, I hope, have, have expanded your understanding about, you know, you're meeting different people that are coming from different walks of life and the entry point may be different with those in, uh, individuals. And so the way in which you go about sharing Jesus with them may be different uh, in, in different circumstances. So there's not only one. In fact, uh, if you've never memorized a presentation of the gospel, I think that it's useful to have at least one that you are comfortable with. Uh, and then think of it in, in this way that, for instance, with Evangelism Explosion, it has a, a, a very well-developed outline 
but that outline doesn't have to start at point number one. Somebody uh, may uh, be questioning about point number three, and you can enter into a conversation at that point. But if you're comfortable with that, that whole presentation, then you can craft that to your situation. So we were addressing some of those myths, and now I'm going to go on and uh, take up a subject that, uh, that was something that prompted us to want to, to, to study the subject of evangelism, and, and that is, what does evangelism look like in a postmodern world? And that entails a little bit of work to just understand how uh, the postmodern philosophy shapes our, uh, shapes our world that we live in and what are some of the hallmarks of that. And um, this is a, a fairly large subject and one that I'm just going to treat uh, today in one session and I don't intend to, uh, to go incredibly deeply in an, in an analysis of post-modernity, tongue-tied around those things. I want to give you some, some high points of that that will suggest some values or suggest some ways in which we might go about uh, uh, our conversations with individuals. So Chan does a, a nice job of summarizing a difference between modernism and postmodernism uh, in, in three different things. I'm just going to drop these things. modernism, uh, there's a commitment to observable truths, and so it will often start with propositional truth and with beliefs, and those, excuse me, those truths lead to beliefs, and beliefs leads to praxis, or to, to the practice. And he gives an example of how this might uh, be shaped out in a, in a uh, sharing of the gospel, that uh, would follow along certain questions. How do you know there's a God? Well, because Jesus says it's true. Well, and the question then follows, how do you know what Jesus says is true? It's because Jesus is God, and the proof is that he rose again from the dead. Uh, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Because the Bible tells us so. And how do you know the Bible is true? Well, it's historically reliable. It's corroborated by eyewitness accounts. That's been transmitted accurately to us. You can see how there is kind of a progression of these uh, propositional truths that are, are set out that lead you to certain conclusions and an invitation or, or a confrontation with Jesus and an invitation to, uh, uh, to believe in him. Well, postmodernism is... is uh, I'm going to ask you. We use these same three words, but uh, what do you think? Order. Same three words. We first. Try again. Sorry. 
that interesting? Ah, it's, it's completely inverted. And uh, the reasons for that are revealing of what postmodernism says. And just as uh, a, a quick summary, I'll give you a few high points about postmodernism. So postmodernism, uh, instead of recognizing that there is an absolute truth that talks instead about the subjectivity of the individual and the uh, individual's authority to, to judge what, uh, what he or she sees and hears. So rather than truths being neutral, detached, objective, Instead, it is sub subjective, it is biased, it's influenced. Um, it's influenced by the, uh, the background in which you are raised, the cultural differences that you have. Um, and uh, so the postmodern would say that the uh, that context determines meaning and that, uh, uh, and they'll even go and they'll appropriate certain texts and, and, and interpret them according to their own purposes. Now, um, we, we hear the word postmodern and our, our skin kind of crawls and the idea of truth not being objective. Uh, we, our head spins a little bit. But I, I hope that you'll recognize that, that there is a thread of truth in, in some of these things. So... Uh, someone who uh, comes from a context of North America might look at certain things from, uh, from a, a viewpoint that is different from someone who is from Asia or Africa or uh, a different culture. Um, as a, as a, a, for instance, I kind of enjoy listening to Mortification of Spin and Carl Truman is, uh, uh, does not come from North America, and, and uh, he often scratches his head and says, what is it with you Americans and your guns? And his, uh, his background from the UK is that there aren't, uh, uh, there is no freedom for, for owning, owning guns. That's just a small example of where his cultural background looks at it something that we would say is a freedom, and uh, and uh, even say it so strong as you can have my gun when you pry it from my cold dead fingers, <laughs> and he just scratches his head and says, what, what, "What's up with that?" Uh, that's fairly innocuous. Fairly innocuous. I don't want to uh, offend the gun rights movement uh, anywhere. Um, Fairly innocuous, but uh, it gives you an example of of, no, uh, of seeing where this idea of, of postmodernism comes from. Um, so method is biased; it's subjective. There's not a blank slate that uh, that tries to prove things logically or uh, looking for conclusions. Instead, there are certain presuppositions that that, in a sense, tell you. The conclusion you're going to come to, and rising really a lot from your practice, 
practice leading to belief and belief to those, those truths. So as you can guess, uh, and what is often said, there is no universal truth. Chan qualifies that. He says that uh, not that postmodernism denies the existence of objective truth. It's just that all facts have to be constructed. Um, so there's no meta narrative. There's nothing that that overarches all of history. Uh, knowledge is viewed as power because in power you get to tell the story, you get to construe the facts uh, to your own advantage, and which leads to suspicion about other truth claims. So how how in the world are we going to talk to individuals with these uh, these convictions? For Chan, he begins by uh, identifying what I'll call the so what's of the postmodern philosophy. And I want to identify uh, some of the values that come out in, in this, uh, this philosophy. And I'll, I'll invite you as well. What different values rise up out of postmodernism? Own discussions with I'll invite you to identify some things you're aware of. Giving some good examples of consequences relative them is nothing to you can define abrupt approach and saying, Well, here's my truth, your truth is bunk. That seems to be one of the things that in our frustration. From our mindset, where there there has to be be truth, and and we can't two truths can't be opposite and still be true. That's a very modern uh, a modern concept. There, the postmodern can say that and be comfortable with the ideas that that you no, know, you're you're right, but I'm right as well, even though they're mutually exclusive.
morality replaced with niceness. Toss a few words out. Identifies and invites you through. About okay, coexistence. Uh, what, 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 where else might that appear? Coexistence as the idea of a variety of religions, or a variety of worldviews that should all coexist, all should be tolerated. It's almost elevated to the, the highest moral good. That's uh, Chan's assessment, that toleration is the, the highest moral good in postmodernism. Yeah, there's, there, there's that niceness. Well, that's because we're not tolerant. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that. If toleration is the highest good, the, 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 the highest evil is the, is the, that worldview that will not tolerate all the other worldviews, and that's Christianity. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, instead of, yes, I can sit down over coffee and, and talk with you about your worldview, and I won't kill you. Uh, it, it, it has come to mean that um, we won't talk about these things as if they're differences. Instead, you have to accept them and celebrate them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so a uh, uh, couple of other words here. How about power? Where does that come from? What's that mean? Uh, there's a high degree of sensitivity towards those who are said to be uh, be marginalized, uh, who do not have position or power. And uh, here's a place where uh, you know, we, even our our Christian sensibilities are are aware of. Uh, of certain things about uh, marginalization and about justice and about um, caring for those who are poor or um, uh, who have been disadvantaged. Uh, 
we as Christians do care about those things, but the, uh, the, it rises from a different place for, for the postmodern, and its, its result is, in the end, to, uh, to place the burden on, uh, uh, on, on the entire society to, uh, in a sense, become what you are not, and, and there's, a, there's a sense in which postmodernism thinks that this will actually level uh, some playing field uh, so that, uh, that everyone is, is completely equal. Um, and, and that's been tried over and over again, hasn't it, throughout, uh, throughout history, and, and uh, it, uh, it never really works. And uh, whoever is the strongest ends up uh, putting their view forward and, and dominating uh, all of those. Um, how about diversity? Explain that and its uh, impact in the world. Yeah. Yep. We're we're comfortable with that concept of diversity. Preached on that subject a couple of weeks ago that there's diversity in the church and that we are diverse but uh, but united in Christ. Uh, but because of this idea of no absolute truths and because of the uh, the idea of certain power structures that are uh, are uh, are suggestive of of what has been used. And and we can we can say that, that that this has happened that there's there's been abuse of power that has has marginalized some, um, but it, again it, it flips it into a place where where without any truth then uh, there's only the exercise of, of power and uh, because of that uh, there's a, a, a toleration of, of all of the all of the different diversities and empowerment of, of all of them. Just to add a few other things here, all religions are valid, essentially the same. Um, uh, no absolute truth, subjective interpretation, and a claim to absolute truth is a use of power and violence against others. Uh, so here's an aspect that uh, from a, a Christian perspective where we are, are asserting absolute truths uh, that uh, can be viewed as, as abusive. Um, Unconvinced of proof or evidence, so people are skeptical of 
uh, of scholars, ex ex uh, skeptical of knowledge, of, of learning. Uh, makes you wonder why we still have universities. <laughs> um, uh, diversity of ways of knowing, different perspectives from other cultures. Um, ethics become a barrier to belief in the gospel, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And, um, and that's because of that, uh, that idea that we begin with, with practice, and then comes belief and truths. And if our, if our practice is one that there's no agreement on or that we're counter to what they believe, for instance, uh, Christians are opposed to abortion and euthanasia and are, are cast as being opposed to social justice. Um, and because of that, ethics become a, a barrier uh, to the gospel. Okay, so we are not postmodern. Uh, not strictly modern either. Say that carefully. Uh, we're not, we're not postmodern because we believe that there is objective truth. And we affirm that God has revealed himself and he's revealed himself truly. Uh, but we are not strictly modern because um, modernism is, is also a, a non-Christian humanistic approach to the way of knowledge which starts with human beings being a blank slate. And we would, uh, we would differ from the modernist by saying that we do not come to know purely by things that are tangible and observable and therefore follow and connect the dots to certain conclusions. There is a decided... Uh, in a sense, almost non-rational beginning point for Christians. We believe that God exists and that he has revealed himself truthfully in the scripture. So uh, the, the Christian worldview is, is based on that. And uh, we affirm the existence of truth. Um, we affirm that, uh, that that truth is is knowable and that there are absolute truths and you can can know them absolutely and then we are seeking to communicate those in, in a world that is not not even accepting that that methodology or or that mindset and I would say that uh, well I'm going to go on and follow Chan's um, Chance suggestions on some ways that we can uh, be dialoguing with with, uh, with the, the worldview that's in view here, that I, I don't think it's uh, appropriate or even wise to completely abandon our, uh, our convictions to, uh, to proclaiming absolute truths. I'll remind you of the Gary DeMar illustration of meeting a mugger on the campus of uh, OSU, and uh, he says, give me all your money, and you pull your gun, and says, no, back off, and he says, well, I don't believe in your gun, what do you do? And you look at your gun, and you say, oh, shoot, now what I'm going to do? <laughs> 
no, you, you use your gun. So I think there, it's an illustration that I, I gave before, but I, I still think it's appropriate for us to, uh, to press these truths because I, at the end of the day, uh, God's word is propositional, and that's the way it's come to us. And what we are wanting to do is to, uh, to bring people into a confrontation with a real person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in a sense, let Jesus work it out. <laughs> uh, their offense is going to be with, uh, with the Lord and Savior of all things, and, and Jesus is able to cut through whatever philosophy is being met with. In fact, when I look at the the world in which the gospel came during the New Testament era, uh, there are lots of things that are very similar to post-modernity. The multiplicity of gods that happened in the ancient world, every, uh, every nation had its own god. Uh, you can't read through the Old Testament without some contest between the gods taking place. So uh, the idea that you have your God and we have our God, you have your rules, we have our rules, is, is nothing new to God <laughs> and uh, really isn't anything new to, to us either. So um, I am, uh, I, I'll, I'll leave that there and say, uh, keep telling people about Jesus. Uh, and if they object to the Bible, if they object to claims about Jesus, uh, invite them to read it with you. Uh, invite them to, uh, to sit down and in one setting, read the Gospel of Mark. Uh, short, shortest of the Gospels. Uh, lead them to, to meet with Jesus in a sense in God's word, and then say, uh, as you read that, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the questions that you have and uh, maybe go chapter by chapter with them and, and just sit with them and, and read through a chapter and, and ask them about that. That being said, let me give a few things that in Chan's study and in his experience of, of sharing these things, uh, sharing the gospel in the world in which we live, uh, a few um, values that have risen to the top in his mind. The first one is authenticity. I want to define that, and let's talk about why this might be valuable in a postmodern context. Good, the opposite of hypocrite. What does a hypocrite do? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
Very good. Yeah, so this is true, I think, in, in every age that hypocrisy is a bad witness to Christianity because there are certain things that are proclaimed and then if the life does not match with it, that it testifies against, against what you believe. Christians aren't alone in being hypocrites, though, by the way. So uh, that, that's an inter- that might be an interesting conversation and in asking individuals that are claiming certain things, just how far does that go? Yeah, Vicki. Yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And uh, I'll throw in another one. Stories. Not in the, you know, that's, that word is used in, in some counseling systems today. I'm not using it in that way. Um, the idea of show me what this looks like. And telling your own testimony can be a powerful tool in evangelism, especially with individuals that start with praxis, uh, the practice goes to belief and truth as they see it being lived out, as they hear of that taking place, that lends towards authenticity when they can see, see that in, in other places. It, uh, uh, authenticity and stories often ask the question, um, not the question, is it true, but is it real? Uh, is it something that, that, that you are, are living and reality or authenticity is, is, uh, is demonstrating uh, that? Are you living consistently with your beliefs? Um, and we saw this when I preached through 1 Peter. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, where it talks about who we are as the people of God. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We're built on, on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And Peter, as he's, as he's moving from who we are to how we interact, even with a world that is persecuting you, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that... Uh, that when they see your good works, they praise God on the day of his visitation. So that idea of our lives being a certain witness, uh, and there's, there's truth to that. So authenticity and storytelling is part of that. Um, he mentions hospitality. Find hospitality and and to interact with why that might have a special place in a in our current culture. 
I think you're right in saying that, that the postmodern worldview, rather than creating a large homogenous uh, unit of, of culture, it is it is fractured it into, into lots of tiny little pieces. Everybody is their own their own authority. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes, type of thing. But it is surprising how people still long for connection, isn't it? People still long for connection and, and to find a way in which there are others in this journey together with me that, uh, that tends to filter down into, in, into groups of like-minded individuals where there really isn't any toleration. Uh, so example of this, uh, Rosario Butterfield speaks about her own conversion and how when she became a Christian that it, it part of what, uh, what convinced her was that she was welcomed into the, uh, the home of a pastor and his wife that, uh, that said, uh, you're here to share a meal with us. You may ask any question that you like. I, I will deal with you uh, honestly, and I'm not trying to flame you. I'm not trying to, to crucify you. I want, to, I want you to be able to ask questions. She compared that to uh, structures of support that were very well knit among the uh, gay and lesbian um, uh, culture. Uh, they were often sharing hospitality were often in each other's homes, and that was part of the support system that she found so wonderful and that she's tried to uh, emulate in her Christian life. And she's written about that in a, in a book um, on the subject of, of hospitality. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Let's look at that a little bit more because they, those root words that you're sensing in, in the word hospitality are, are part of that meaning. It seems to have been filtered down just to having having your friends over for uh, for a meal that that is very popular. I watch any HGTV. Everybody goes in. They want a certain kitchen so that they can they can entertain. So hospitality seems to have have uh, filtered down to just that idea of entertaining. And there's, uh, I would say that's that can be part of it, but it's much more than that. What what else would you put under hospitality? Yeah, yeah, and the idea of of a of a hospice is that there was a, a a place where someone who was traveling would uh, 
would have a place to, that was safe for them to lay down at night. And it, wasn't, it, and it was usually generated out of need, not out of, uh, not out of entertainment. But I think that this comes through in much of the uh, Middle Eastern culture, where the, uh, the idea of, of giving a meal, uh, giving shelter even to a stranger, has very high value in, in their mindset. Uh, yeah, Meg. Yeah, that, uh, just the giving of your time, um, that has, there's authenticity in there, uh, there's, uh, there's a, a genuine connecting with an individual, it's part of your life, you're, you're inviting them in uh, to your world, maybe not your home, but uh, into your world by spending time with them. Mark? Mm. Ah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. 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 That can be a, a wonderful experience, can't it? Yeah. yeah, both giving and receiving. And there's a certain uh, humility that, uh, that that takes, uh, a certain desire uh, to, to enter into something like that. Well, we're almost out of time. Let me just give you a couple of high points here. Um, uh, using your own testimony, uh, which is, uh, would be a subset of story. It leans into that question, is it real instead of is it true? Uh, you can't really debate whether it's true or not that you were, uh, that, that you came to know about Jesus Christ through your parents. Part of a story, that's, that's not a truth, uh, in a sense, an absolute truth statement. Uh, you're relating your story. But it uh, gives you an opportunity to, to speak of Christ that way. Um, explore different metaphors. We've, we've talked about that. Uh, subset of that, he says, use wisdom as an entry point. And I'd like to do a little more thinking about this. Uh, it, it has the, that sense of, so what are the ethics of the world that they're, uh, that they're espousing? And how does the scripture speak to those things? And here's where uh, I've, uh, I've already identified that idea of, of disadvantaged, of social justice, uh, we are, ought to be able to enter into that conversation. The Christian faith has something to say about that. And in fact, I would argue it has something better to say about it than what uh, postmodern has to say about it. Uh, so enter into that, and uh, Tim, Tim Keller even says enter into it and in a way that, that you can challenge them as to the deficiency of what they are proposing and, and show them that Christianity is better this way.
Um, uh, he, uh, he also mentions engaging in creative arts, and, and uh, uh, he qualifies that by saying this is not, uh, the, uh, this is not to, uh, to try to raise it to a level of uh, this ought to replace gospel preaching or, or something like that, but he, it's the, the engaging of, of stories. And so he gives C.S. Lewis as an example of one who's well able to enter into the philosophy discussion, for instance, in mere Christianity. But he is also able to enter into uh, a, uh, um, a story that will present uh, certain truths and invite people to, uh, to discuss these things. Well, I feel out of my depth a little bit in in presenting these things about postmodernism, in that I'm not a I'm not a philosopher and I haven't dug deeply into these things, and so if I have oversimplified them, it's partially to due to my inexperience or bringing to you a fruit of of summary studies rather than really in-depth studies. But uh, I think we've all experienced certain uh, aspects of this and certain frustrations about, about this. What I hope to do by this is to, uh, to encourage you not to stop, not to, uh, not to look at your Bible and say, when someone says, I don't believe in your Bible, you say, oh, boy, that's too bad and try to figure out some other avenue in which to, uh, to discuss Jesus, but also to recognize some of the values that are being put forward and be, uh, to be thoughtful about them, uh, uh, and maybe even probing with the individual you're talking about, talking to, uh, to try to get back further and deeper, going back to my lesson last week, to go deeper to explore, well, why is it that you think your truth is, is true? Uh, why is it that you think that, uh, that this aspect of social justice is so important? And enter into a dialogue with them in, uh, in ways that uh, genuinely listen and uh, desire to, uh, to share the gospel of Christ with them. I've run over today, I apologize about that, but uh, what is time anyway? So uh, <laughs> we will begin at 11 o'clock though, so I'll close this in prayer. <laughs> Father, different worldviews and mindsets are ones that can be very confusing. And Lord, sometimes I, I feel like, uh, like the blind man that you healed and maybe that's a, a good way for us to go forward is uh, to take the questions that are being asked and say, uh, I, 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 I'm not sure how to answer your questions. I'm not sure exactly that I understand where you're coming from, but here's what I know is that once I was blind, but now I see and Jesus did it. And Lord, embolden us to, to, to speak out of our own experience and uh, to, to speak of uh, the Savior Jesus Christ, to do so with uh, compassion on those that are, are lost and are, are seeking 
um, seeking answers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. I appreciate it.